0: Warlock Vorobach Reads Produced by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library Welcome to Warlock Vorobach Reads A Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library Podcast Prepare for some stylistically sinister stanzas Last time, we started a chivalric quest after beheading a green knight this time, we head into the Tudor dynasty to listen to one of the longest poems in the English language. That's right, I'm talking about the Fairy Queen, which means I'm speaking about Edmund Spencer. Edmund was born in East Smithfield, London, around 1552. There is little information about who his parents were. He was educated at Merchant Taylors' School and then Pembroke College. Afterwards, he became a secretary for John Young, Bishop of Rochester. In 1579, he married his first wife, Maccabeus Child, and published his first major poem, The Shepherd's Calendar. The next year, he moved to Ireland and served with Walter Raleigh at the Siege of Smearwick where the English massacred papal forces. After acquiring some land after the failed rebellion, Spencer bought a second house overlooking the River Blackwater in North Cork. Its ruins are still present today. Nearby a tree grew known as Spencer's Oak that legend claims he penned some of the Fairy Queen underneath. However, The tree was destroyed by lightning in the 1960s. In 1590, the first book of the Fairy Queen was published. It earned him a lifetime 50-pound pension from Queen Elizabeth I. He had hoped to secure a post at court, but his satirical poem, Mother Hubbard's Tale, antagonized her principal secretary, destroying all goodwill he had gained with the fairy queen. By 1594, his wife had died, so Edmund married Elizabeth Boyle, which he celebrated in his poem, "Epithalamion." In 1598, during the Nine Years' War, Irish forces burned his castle killing his infant child. Spencer fled back to London, but died at the age of 46. The Fairy Queen is not only one of the longest English poems ever, but famous for creating what is now called Spenserian stanzas, eight lines in iambic pentameters, followed by a single Alexandrian line in iambic pentameter. The rhyme scheme is abab B. C. B. C. C. Now, here are some historical highlights from 1590. The Treaty of Constantinople was signed, ending war between the Ottoman Empire and the Safavid Empire. John White returns to Roanoke to discover his colony empty and all the settlers missing. The reason for their disappearance is still unknown today. Urban the seventh becomes Pope for twelve days before dying of malaria. His successor is Gregory the fourteenth. Seventy people in East Lothian Scotland are accused of witchcraft on Halloween night. Many confessed after being brutally tortured, including Agnes Sampson, who was fastened to the wall of her cell by a scold's bridle, an iron instrument that forces four sharp prongs into a person's mouth. Shakespeare would use elements from these trials for his play Macbeth. And now, let me read from Book One of the Fairy Queen, where various villainous foes are trying to separate the Red Cross Knight from his virtue of holiness. Long time they thus together traveled, till to weary of their way, They came at last where grew two goodly trees, That fair did spread their arms abroad, With gray moss overcast, And their green leaves trembling with every blast, Made a calm shadow far encompass round, The fearful shepherd, often there aghast, Under them never sat, Ne want their sound his merry oaten pipe, But shun thy unlucky ground. But this good knight, soon as he them can spy, For the cool shade him thither hastily got, For golden Phoebus now ye mounted high, From fiery wheels of his fair chariot, hurrowed his beam so scorching, cruel, hot, that living creature mote it not abide, and his new lady it endured not. There they alight, and hope themselves to hide from the fierce heat, and rest their weary limbs tide. For seemly pleasance each to other makes, with goodly purposes there as they sit, And in his false fancy he her takes To be the fairest white that livid yet. Which to express he bends his gentle wit, And thinking of those branches green To frame a garland for her dainty forehead fit, He plucked a bough, out of whose rift there came Small drops of gory blood that trickled down the same. Therewith a piteous yelling voice was heard, crying, Oh, spare with guilty hands to tear my tender sides In this rough rind embarred. But fly, ah, fly far hence away, For fear least to you hap that happened to me here. And to this wretched lady, my dear love, Oh, too dear love, love bought with death too dear. Astoned he stood, and up his hair did hoove, And with that sudden horror could no member move. At last, when as the dreadful passion was overpassed, And manhood well awake, Yet musing at the strange occasion, And doubting much his sense, he thus bespake. What voice of damned ghost from Limbo Lake or gaioful sprite wandering in empty air, both which frail men do oftentimes mistake, sends to my doubtful ears these speeches rare, and rueful plaints. Me, bidden, guiltless blood despair. Then groan in deep, nor damned ghost quoth he, nor guileful sprite to thee these words doth speak. But once a man, for dubio, now a tree. Wretched man, wretched tree, Whose nature weak, a cruel witch her cursed will to wreck, Hath thus transformed and plast in open plains, Where Boreas doth blow full bitter bleak, And scorching sun does dry my secret veins. For though a tree I seem, yet cold and heat me pains say on fra dubio then or man or tree quoth then the knight by whose mischievous arts art, art thou misshaped thus as now i see he oft finds medicine who his grief imparts but double griefs afflict concealing hearts as rage in flames who strife to suppress The author, then, said he, of all my smarts, is one duessa, a false sorceress, that many errant knights hath brought to wretchedness. In prime of youthly years, when courage hot, the fire of love and joy of chivalry first kindled in my breast, it was my lot to love this gentle lady, whom you see... Now, not a lady, but a seaman tree. With whom, as once I rode accompanied, me chanced on a knight encountered be, that had a like fair lady by his side, like a fair lady, but did foul duessa hide. Whose forged beauty he did take in hand, all other dames to have exceeded far. I in defence of mine did likewise stand. Mine that did then shine as the morning star. So both to battle fierce arranged are, In which his harder fortune was to fall under my spear. Such is the die of war. His lady left as a prize martial, Did yield her comely person to be at my call. So doubly loud of ladies unlike fair, Though one seem such, the other such indeed, One day in doubt I cast for to compare, Whether in beauty's glory did exceed. A rosy garland was the victor's mead, Both seemed to win, and both seemed one to be, So hard the discord was to be agreed. For Lissa was as fair, as fair mote be, And ever false Duessa. Seemed as fair as she. The wicked witch, now seen all this while, The doubtful balance equally to sway, And what not by right she cast to win by guile, And by her hellish science raised straightway A foggy mist that overcast the day, And a dull blast that breathing on her face Dimmed her former beauty's shining ray, And with foul, ugly form did her disgrace. Then was she fair alone, when none was fair in place. Then cried she out, Fie, fie, deformed white, Whose borrowed beauties now appeareth plain, To have before bewitched all men's sight. O leave her soon, or let her soon be slain her loathly visage viewing with disdain, if soon's I thought her such as she me told, and would have killed her, but with feigned pain the false witch did my wrathful hand withhold, so left her where she now is turned to tree-mold. Thenceforth I took Duessa for my dame, and in the witch unweaten joyed long time, ne ever wist, but that she was the same. Till on a day, that day is every prime. When witches want due penance for their crime. I chanced to see her in her proper hue. Bathe in herself in Oregon and time. A filthy, foul old woman I did view. That ever to have touched her, I did deadly rue. Her nether parts, misshapen, monstrous, were hidden. In water that I could not see, But they did seem more foul and hideous Than woman's shape man would believe to be. Then forth from her most beastly company I gan refrain, in mine to slip away. Soon as appeared safe opportunity, For danger great, if not assured decay, I saw before mine eyes, if I were known to stray. A devilish hag, by changes of my cheer, perceived my thought, And drowned in sleepy night, with wicked herbs and ointments, Did besmear my body all, through charms and magic might, That all my senses were bereaved quite. Then brought she me into this desert waste, And by my wretched lover's side me pite, Where now enclosed in wooden walls, full fast, Banished from living wights. Our weary days we waste. But how long time, said then the elfin knight, are you in this mefo- misinformed house to dwell? We may not change, quoth he, this evil plight, till we be bathed in a living well. That is the term prescribed by the spell. Oh, how, said he, mote I that well outfind, that may restore you to your wonted well. Time and sufficed fates to former kind shall us restore none else from hence may us unbind the false duessa now Fidessa high, heard how in vain Frau Dubio did lament and knew well all was true, but the good knight, full of sad fear and ghastly dreariment, when all this speech the living tree had spent. The bleeding bow did thrust into the ground That from the blood he might be innocent And with fresh clay did close the wooden wound Then turn into his lady, dead with fear, her found Her semen dead he found with feigned fear As all unweaten of that well she knew And paid himself with busy care to rear her out of careless swoon her eyelids blue and dimmed sight with pale and deadly hue. At last she gan lift. With trembling cheer, her up he took, too simple and too true, and oft her kissed. At length, all past fear, he set her on her steed, and forward forth did bear. Thank you so much for listening to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County public library podcast. Now continue to support this podcast and other library podcasts by liking them and telling them to your friends and family. Share them on social media. And next time, I will read a rather obscure poem from the 17th century. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Warlock Vorbach Reads. Subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss future episodes. And discover more of our podcasts at chpl.org slash podcasts.